So we're going to wrap up the Ephesians series this morning in the book of Revelation because centuries, decades after Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, another man named John was given words from God to send to the church in Ephesus. But before we get there, let me ask you a question. Do you remember your first love? Do you remember your first love? One of my favorite first love experiences comes from a man named Alan Jackson. And, and, and he sang these words years ago. I was 15, she was 18. The prettiest thing I'd seen in my life. I loved her at first sight. I found her in Marietta, a town north of Atlanta. I brought her home to see my folks and they loved her too. We were together for a long time. I thought it would be for all time, but things change and rearrange. She had to go. She left me crying in 79, an airline pilot in Carolina. I was a, dr I was a wreck, can't drive a check. It broke my heart. My first love was an older woman. There's been many since, but there'll never be another. Built in 1955, snowshoe white, overdrive. I never should have sold her. I'll always love her. She was mine. He's talking about his very first car. And he was in love with this vehicle. And he writes this beautiful song about the love. And later goes on to talk about how his now wife surprised him in 93 on Christmas Eve by buying the car back for him. Man, sometimes you just don't get over that first love. Now, if you're married and she wasn't your first, and she wasn't your first love, you better have gotten over the first one. We're just going to go ahead and leave that one right there on the floor and never touch it again. But you remember your first love. Man, love has this way of grappling our, grappling our heart, taking hold of us. Man, it causes guys to write songs like Percy Sledge, When a Man Loves a Woman. Woo! It, it sends us into, into this, this craziness oftentimes. The things that we do because of love. But what about our true first love? If you've got your place in the book of Revelation, let me invite you to read along with me in chapter 2 where, where, Paul, or where, Paul, where John records words given to him directly by Jesus to the church in Revelation and it's calling us to remember our first love. And he writes these words. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and I know your toil and your perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, but they are not. You have found them to be false. And you have perseverance. And you have endured for my name's sake. And you've not grown weary. But I have this against you. That you have left your first love. 
Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. But this you do have. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray together. Father, we wouldn't know love if it wasn't for you. We wouldn't know the surpassing love of Christ that's far greater than all of our sin. It's far greater than all of our sin combined, put together with all the sin of the world. You outloved that and sent your son Jesus to die for us. Help us to love you in return. Help us to, to, to hold in our hearts and to hold in our hands and to hold in our feet and to hold in our minds so that our, our thoughts, our words, our actions, our deeds, where we go is covered by the grace of God in Christ Jesus because we love you. Lord, we do love you. Help us to walk in love and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love this passage of scripture. Let me give you a little history, a little background on, on where we are in the book of Revelation. So John was the disciple that Jesus loved. He calls himself that throughout the gospel of John. John, sometime, a lot of people, a lot of scholars believe sometime around the year 82, 81, 82, became the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Now, during the the Ephesians series, the pastor there has been a young man named Timothy that was a disciple of Paul that Paul sent to Ephesus to work with them. And he was there when the letter to the Ephesians was written and then also when First and Second Timothy were re written. But sometime, we don't know what happened to Timothy, but sometime after Timothy, John, the disciple Jesus loves, becomes the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And, and John was doing a great thing there and he was leading this church and then he got arrested. Why did he get arrested? For preaching the gospel. The Romans came to him and tried to outlaw, tried, tried, to, tried to, to squelch what he was doing, but he continued. He continued on. He understood that he was fighting the good fight. He understood that the call that God had placed on his life, he knew this Jesus that died for him. He was standing there and said, man, I'm the guy that Jesus said, you take care of my mama for me, okay? I'm, going, I'm leaving. Take care of my mama. He's like, so I knew these. Well, he got arrested and sent to this place called Patmos. He was in exile. It was in solitary confinement. I've always in my mind pictured like Rapunzel's tower that, that he's in all by himself in the middle of nowhere. I really don't know much about Patmos except for that's one of the prisons where they exiled and he was in some sort of solitary confinement. And in chapter one, it says that he's sitting there minding his own business and all of a sudden there is the presence of Christ right there in the room with him. Not one of those, oh, I can feel Jesus so near, so near to me literally standing there and it's terrifying and he shines and, and, and his voice sounds like roaring waters and thunder and, and his, eye, his, his, his eyes are aflame and, and he's speaking and he says, John, I've got a message that you've got to give to my church, my bride, the one for whom I laid down my life. 
And he starts by sending to seven churches that were in Asia Minor, present day uh, Turkey and Greece area. And he, he sends these letters and we're just going to look at the first one, which was to the church in Ephesus. And so he comes to him and says, hey, John, write this to the pastor, the guy that's filling in for you right now. Now I want you to understand John's kind of, he's not on a sabbatical. He's not on a hiatus vacation. He, he's in jail, but he loves this church. He's been su- serving this church. Believe me, I know what it means to love a church where you're serving. We do that right here, right now. We, man, we love this place. I hope y'all don't get rid of us. Please don't get rid of us. We like it here. So, so I know what it's like, but John had years invested in serving this church. And he, he understands the weight of what Jesus is doing. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure that John, being the pastor there in Ephesus, had gone and read that letter that Paul wrote some years before. I'm sure that he was well, well versed in what Paul had wrote, written, had written. He didn't write anything. He had written something to them. I'm sure that he had, had, had just taken that letter of Paul into his own heart, into his own mind and read it and knew about the blessing. Well, he, man, he knew all about the blessing of spiritual blessing that God bestowed upon him. He knew all about the, the plan that God had made before the foundation of the world to save us and to adopt us. He knew all about the battle. He knew all about the warfare. He all knew all about standing strong. And so he's pastoring in that tradition and and he comes to this place in Patmos because he's in exile. And Jesus brings this word to him and says, I need you to send this to your church. I'm sending it to yours first. And he says, I am the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The seven stars are the seven churches. They are the ones that are shining in that darkness and, and, and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Also, the seven golden lampstands are those churches. The lampstand was a sign of light. And so I have planted this lampstand in your community to be a light shining into the darkness where you are. This is the image that that Jesus is using. And he says to them, I know all of these things that you have done. I know all of the good works. He starts praising the church in Ephesus. Church, I believe that if Jesus was going to write us a letter today at First Baptist Church of Fairburn, he could write a pretty good letter of some things we got going on. I'm convinced that he could write and start talking about some of the good deeds and some of the toil and some of the perseverance and some of the things that we have been able to see happen and take place right here in this place since 18, whatever 18, we got to this place in this land in 1963-ish, five-ish when we built this building and the time that we've been right here at Barad and Malone and I'm sure he could write a pretty good letter and say, man, I've seen your food pantry. I've seen your kids ministry. I've seen your students. I've seen your way you've reached to Hispanics. I've seen you that you've reached cross-culturally. Man, I see all these things that you're doing. But he's writing this so that you and I will know that we are to demonstrate our faith. That we are to demonstrate our faith. Notice what he goes on and starts speaking of. He says, I know your deeds, your toil, your perseverance. You can't tolerate evil men. You, you put to test those that call themselves apostles and they're not. You found them to be false. And you've persevered and you've endured for my name's sake and you've not grown weary. Jesus is right. He said, this demonstration of your faith is amazing. This demonstration of what you claim to believe, you are putting your faith to action. Because that's what works are. Works are faith in action. James tells us this over the book of James. Like, hey, you say you've got faith. 
I'll show you by my faith, by, by my works. Now, we don't do all these good things that God will say, man, look how, look how awesome those people down there in Fairburn are at First Baptist. Man, look at that. They do all these things. I think I'm going to love them a little bit more. I think I'm going to love them just a little bit. That's not what we do it. We have these things because we believe that God loves us and gave us his son, Jesus. And so we have these demonstrations of our faith. Notice, faith. Notice what he says. I know your deeds and your toil. I know you work hard. I, I, I know that you are in the trenches and in the throes. Man, some of you are really, really good when we need volunteers. We, we, we've got a list of people that if there is something coming up and we need a volunteer, I'm sure you probably want to change your phone number because it gets worn out a good bit. Some of you have a well-beaten path between your house and this church because it seems like every time I turn around, I see you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm up here Sunday through Thursday and so are you. I see you because we've got people that work. We've got people that in our children's ministry, we've got messy church tonight. And I know Charlie has, has people that she knows that she can count on to be here, to help, to set up, to, to do and to work and do all. Man, Lewis with the worship ministry, he knows he's got people to count on. We've been talking to some over the last, over the last few months about just you know the versatility of all of our musicians I mean our bass player sometimes has a beard sometimes doesn't our, our drummer sometimes has well it's always a beard and dark hair but it might not be the same length you know you never know who's gonna be over here on guitar sometimes they let me play bass and man there have been a few Sundays during the offer tour I'm like man Judy's playing really good today I'm like oh that's Russ over there you know it's, it's such versatility that Lewis can send an email and say, hey, we've got this coming up, and man, there are people that just plug in. It's amazing. Those are demonstrations of our faith. Those are things that we can celebrate. Look at what God has been able to do here in the people that he has brought here and how we use our gifts and how we demonstrate what, what God has done in bringing us to this place together. And he goes on and he says, I, I know your perseverance that you can't tolerate evil men and, and you put those who call themselves apostles to the test. See, uh, uh, Ephesus had that, that strange opportunity where they had to be rebaptized in Acts chapter 19. If you weren't with us when we kicked off the Ephesians series, we spent some time in Acts 19 where Paul got to Ephesus and was meeting some believers there to, in order to encourage them and then start spreading the gospel to other parts of Ephesus. And he asked them the question, so tell me about what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. And these people said, I, we don't know what the Holy Spirit is. What are you talking about, Paul? We said you were baptized, right? Well, yeah, we were baptized. Well, if you don't know what the Holy Spirit is, what baptism did you receive? Well, we got John's baptism. Just so you know, baptism wasn't like ketchup where you can get Heinz ketchup or Hunt's ketchup or it wasn't that it was that John was a precursor to Christ and he was showing the people what repentance would look like in the Christ to come but once Christ came with baptism and with salvation and regeneration there came the Holy Spirit and Paul said you people have an incomplete faith it wasn't that the people that the guy that was here before taught you wrong. He just didn't teach you enough. He didn't really show you what you were signing up for. So you've got this incomplete faith. So let's go through this again. So Ephesus says, look, you're putting people to the test. You're not just letting anybody that says, you know what? I know who Jesus is. Get up and talk. 
oh man, how many churches have been burned by that? You invite some speaker in. Oh yeah, he's gonna be great. And he starts talking about like aliens and zombies. Not as like some crazy illustration, but like, did you know that there are aliens among us right now? It says so. In the, no, what in the world are you talking about, dude? False teachers. And maybe they're a little more subtle than that. Maybe it's not talking about aliens and maybe it's not talking about aliens and strangers, but maybe it's they're coming in and they're telling you that, you know what? If you really want to know how much God loves you, just go ahead and, and, and just put him to the test in this way. And, and demand from him that because of his love that he will give you this and he will provide for you this and that, that because you have enough faith that that's gonna be yours, you just go ahead and claim it now and it'll be yours. It's a false gospel. We put that to the test. Or, hey, you know what? You've been really bad this week. Maybe you're not really saved. Maybe you lost your salvation. Well, we know from the, from the book of Ephesians that that's not true. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. See, some of our faith and action are the works that it takes to, to persevere, to put to the test, to have the assurance of what the Bible shows is true about our faith. And, and Jesus is lauding the church for this. But then he says to them in verse three, but you have persevered and endured for my name's sake. You've not grown weary. See, perseverance holds strong when others give up. Perseverance holds strong when others give up. Man, I can tell you a good story about our church when it comes to perseverance and others giving up. And, and it has to do with the, the, the rock building out here. I've read some of our history and, and some of the things. That, and here's what I've come to know. If anybody knows a better, more accurate version of the story, um, email me later and I'll get it right next time. But, but what I understand is the building was gonna be built, but the church ran out of money to build it. But he knew that it was God's purpose. One man knew that it was God's purpose to do it. So on his own, he started coming up here and building the building by himself, even though that we couldn't pay anybody to do it. And then others from the church came alongside. That's persevering when others give up. It's like, well, we can't do this, so we're not going to. No, this is what we're supposed to do. We're going to continue. And see, in Paul's, in, in, in John's day, He's sitting there and he gets it himself. I am in a tower literally for preaching the gospel and people have stopped proclaiming Jesus all around me because of this persecution, but not the church of Ephesus. And look at our day. Look at our day, how easy it is to sell out to false teaching, to sell out to what pleases crowds rather than maintaining what is, what is true and persevering with truth. Man, look, we could fill this place up every single Sunday. Every single Sunday. We've got the musicians to do it. We've got everything we need to do. It. All we gotta do is just like, hey, you know what? Show up Sunday, you might win an Xbox. Hey, show up Sunday, you might win a Walmart gift card. Show we, we, we could do all kind of stuff. Hey, come on up here. I'm gonna give you 15 ways to, to, be, a, to be a better citizen or 15 ways to do it. And, and we, we could start packing the place in and be devoid of biblical truth. Or we could persevere and make disciples. And as we grow, we grow because we're growing in Christ. See, churches all around us are selling out to false truths. They're not holding fast to the true word of God. They're not persevering. See, perseverance holds strong when others give up. 
I have been stretched to the limits with perseverance. Wanting to walk away from ministry, wanting to walk away from preaching because it got tough. But, but something grappling my heart and tethering it tighter and tighter to the word wouldn't let me. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're on the verge. Man, I'm not sure. Hold fast. Hold strong even when others around you give up. Why? Because Jesus shows that this is worth it. We've got a church that has held strong for almost 200 years. You realize that we're less than a decade now away from 200 years? That's crazy. Think about where you're going to be in less than a decade. I'm going to have teenagers. <laughs> Brayden's going to be driving. Just go ahead and get like pool noodles and wrap them all around your car <laughs> before that happens. Maybe something stronger than pool noodles. In less than a decade. Why? Because we've held fast. We've demonstrated our faith. We have done the works that show our faith, not to earn them, but to be a witness of what God has done. But then he comes into this church in Ephesus and says, okay, it's not just that you demonstrate your faith. You've got to hear your fault. You've, you've got to hear your fault. And so Jesus offers a little... Constructive criticism is the word I'm trying to throw out there to you. Notice he says there in verse four, but I have this against you. Now imagine you're sitting there and you're John and you're writing this letter and you know the first one's gonna go to your own church. You're like, yeah, Jesus has been watching us. We've got this ministry thing done. Ephesus is an amazing place because that's, yep, oh, yep, we haven't done that. We've persevered. What do you mean you've got something against us? See, Jesus wants us to keep some things in mind. And it's not just for the church in Ephesus. It's for the church today in Fairburn, Georgia. It's for the church today in Fulton County. It's for the church today in Georgia. It's for the church today in America. It's for the church today in this world. He says this, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Church. Hear me when I say this about there's the seven letters that, that Jesus writes in the book of Revelation. Ephesus was in a good place. There were three churches that might as well have been burned to the ground based on the words that Jesus gives them. There were two churches that were on the verge of being burned to the ground. And he says, look, you've got strong perseverance. Keep holding on. But he goes light on Ephesus because Ephesus was a good church. They, they had a good thing going. But notice what he says. You've got all these things that you're doing, but you have left your first love. You've left your first love. I had a good friend growing up. I'm a not use his name to protect the innocent, even though he's guilty. Um, but there was a girl in our church that he had eyes for. Oh, every time you turned around, he was talking about her. 
talking about her, talking about her. They never would ask her out. Would try to encourage him. Hey, hey, you know what? Part of it was her older brother was one of his best friends. Part of it was he worked for her daddy. Part of it was he was a little bit chicken. But it was always her. He'd never get the nerve up. So he'd ask somebody else out. And he'd go on a date with somebody else and then be heartbroken to find out that she was dating somebody. So he'd break things off and he would sulk in it for a little while and then she'd get single again and it was about her. It's about her. It's about her. But he never would act on it. And he'd find out she was dating somebody else and he'd be heartbroken so he'd go after somebody else. And this continued and continued and continued until eventually, you know what happened? She got married. And it was done. See, I believe too often we walk through our life in Christ about that. Oh, we're about Jesus. We're about Jesus. But we don't act on it. And then somebody else, something else comes along. Like, well, I think I'll be interested here. And it might not be a bad thing, but it's not Christ. And therefore it becomes an idol. And in becoming an idol, we have stepped away from our first love. The gospel in Christ Jesus is our first love. It's the love of God that saved us. It's the love of God that sent his son to be crucified on our behalf that we could know the righteousness of God, that we could know the beauty of God, that we could know the power of God. It's the first love that said, you know what? If God is that great, if God is that awesome, if God is that amazing, that he would love me enough, that he would die for me, that I could go free, that I could be saved no matter what my sin is, no matter, no matter what wickedness I have committed, that I would go free because of him and get to be in relation with him I'll serve him forever oh wait it's football season okay well we got some games we're going to go to so that's it I'll see you at church next week we're going to, be, we're going to the away game this week oh man I love this Jesus thing and all but you know I really do want to buy my kids that new that new PlayStation that's coming out so I'm, I might not be able to tie this week Man, I really, I, man, Jesus is amazing. He really, really saved me. But Kelly, I don't know about, I don't know about missions. I, I just, you know, I, I, I'll just, I'll just go to work and do my own thing. See, we counterfeit these other gods. See, here's the thing about my friend that never would ask this girl out. Every girl that he did end up dating were nowhere near as pretty as she was. Nowhere near. He lowered the standard to something that was less than every single time. And Jesus is writing these words. He's given these words to John to write to the church in Ephesus. Says, you've got a lot of good things that you're doing, but you're not doing it because you love me. You're doing it because that's what you think you've got to do to be a good church. Sometimes I think that's where we are. We, we want to do the right thing, but we're doing it with the wrong motivation. We're not doing it because we love Jesus. We do it because we love church. 
we're not doing it because God saved us. We're doing it because we got to keep the church going. We got to keep the church open. We got to keep doing this and we got to have this. And we get in the service pattern for all of the self edifying reasons and not for the Christ honoring, Christ glorifying reasons. And he says, look, I'm glad you're doing these things, but you left your first love. You sold her to an airline pilot in Carolina. And so what do we do with that? Notice he says there in verse five. Once we hear our fault, he gives us three instructions. The first is to remember. He says, therefore, remember from where you have fallen. Friends, let me ask you to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember the power of God on display. Remember the passion, the compassion, the mercy and the grace as our Savior was crucified and crushed. As Isaiah says, it pleased God to crush him. Why? Because in doing so, he was able to buy our forgiveness. Remember from where you have fallen. Remember that glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember that Savior that died for you. Remember what it meant that day and how it felt that day and everything that was going on that day when you first said, yes, I'm going to trust Jesus. Yes, I'm going to give my life to Christ. Yes, I'm going to. And it doesn't matter if it was the front of a church aisle, if it was at, at your bedside with your mom and dad. It doesn't matter if it was on the tailgate of a Ford pickup truck. Wherever you were, were when you first heard of the love of God in Christ Jesus and you said yes I want him remember you know I can remember exactly where I was standing the first time I saw Christy actually I wasn't standing I was sitting I was sitting in the seminary chapel during during our orientation I was sitting kind of about where Miss Joe is back here close to the back on the aisle and I'm sitting there and I'm looking around and all of a sudden, brushing right past me and going about six rows in front of me was this beautiful young lady wearing a light blue t-shirt with a denim skirt. And all I could think was, I am going to meet her. I'm going to meet her. I met her. I didn't leave her alone. I pestered the stew out of her for a year I can remember where I was first time I gave her a hug I was in the backyard of the house I was renting she was standing by her car gave her a hug I can remember where I was first time I gave her a kiss on the forehead I can remember where I was first time I gave her a kiss on the lips I can remember where I was standing when she said that she would be my wife see these are the things that we've got to remember when we want that healthy relationship. And see, when I go back and I think back to November of 2006, riding in my GMC Yukon, the night I told Christy, I'm gonna marry you. Hadn't proposed yet. We'd only been on a few dates, but I told her it was two o'clock in the morning. We were riding around all over Wake County, North Carolina. I remember going under the bridge right behind the seminary when I said, Christy, my intention is I'm going to marry you. You're gonna be my wife. I remember that. And I remember how it felt for those words to come out of my mouth to her ears for that very first time. I remember where I was sitting when I realized I'm gonna die and go to hell. I remember where I was standing 
when I told, when I told my church that knew I was baptized as a seven-year-old, I'm lost, I'm going to hell. I remember, I remember stepping into the baptistry. I remember breaking all of my secular CDs because they were evil and vicious and wicked. I remember because I remember what God did for me in Christ Jesus. Paul says, or John says right here through the words of Christ, remember, remember that day. You've fallen away from that day, but remember it. And then he says this, he says, repent, repent, remember and then repent. And I know what you're thinking, well, once saved, always saved, right? Yeah, absolutely. But the Christian life is a life of continued repentance. Why? Because you're still a person. <laughs> you're still a human. You still wake up every morning to the same old junk that is all around. The same temptations. You, you wake up to the same struggle. You wake up to the same people around you. All over there are things that distract us and dissuade us from following Christ with a whole and pure heart. We're still saved. We're still in him. But we have to daily, remember what Jesus' words were? Whoever would come after me must daily take up his cross and follow me. That is a daily life of repentance. Yeah, you're still saved, but you've got to come back. Now, what are we talking about with repentance? I am not saying that, okay, you've heard this, so everybody has to, at the end of the thing up here, wailing, gnashing of teeth, sackcloth and ashes right here at the steps of the church, and oh, no, if God leads you to that, you better obey. But repent is an inward turning of your heart to say, you know what, God, I've, I've not been following Christ. I've not been doing church. I've not been part of this because I love you. I've done it because I love me. I love church. Or I love whatever. Repent. And he says then, notice in verse six, verse five, sorry, and do the deeds you did at first. So you've repented, now you're gonna turn. You're gonna turn back to what was going on when you first came to faith in Christ. You're gonna turn back to who he is. You're gonna turn back to the life you committed yourself to live on that day. It's a lot easier than we build it up to. See, sometimes we look at these kind of words and, and, and we, we find ourselves on the edge of the high dive and, and we're just afraid to take that plunge. I get it, that's me. I'm not big on heights. I can climb up on a roof, I can climb up on a ladder, but you're gonna ask me to jump off of something or gonna put me up on one of these tall things at six flights that's just gonna fall? No, I don't think so. We get up there and we know the water's okay. We've just watched a thousand other people do this and we stand there with trembling knees when the hardest thing to do is just let yourself go. 
See, we come to these words that Paul gives us, or John gives us out of the mouth of Jesus. We come to this and we hear him say, okay, here's your fault. You've not loved Christ first. He's not been preeminent in your life. He's not had first place. You've loved all these other things. You've done all these other things for the wrong reasons, good things for the wrong reasons. So love Jesus first, turn and go back to that, repent and go back to that, run back to that day that you remember. It's easier than you think. You just got to do it. But let me hear you, or let me leave you with this. That you've got to understand your value. Just, just think of the love of God in Christ Jesus, that he would even bring these words to a church. A church 2,000 years ago that we can still resonate with today. He says there in verse seven, whoever has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You have value because you are redeemable. You're redeemable. All is not lost. All is not forgiven. Everybody do this with me real quick. Everybody ready? Look at me. Go this, go. Now do this. Everybody in here just did something called breathing. You took a breath in, you let a breath out. As long as you are able to breathe, there is hope. It's not too late. You are redeemable. So if you've never come to faith in Christ, you obviously have never loved Christ first because you're still in sin. You're redeemable. It's not too late. It doesn't matter if you're six or if you're 60 or even older. It's not too late. Okay, you've been going about church your own way for five years, for 50 years, for 100 years. Doesn't matter. You're redeemable. Where there is breath, there is hope because there is life. It's not too late. Jesus writes these words and says, to the one who overcomes, he would not write those words if you were unable to remember, repent, and go and do the deeds you did at first. You have value because you are redeemable. You have value because God can use you where you are right now. All it takes is this. That. An open hand up to the one who saved us. Now, I want you to just hold your hand up like this just for a second. I'm not committing you to anything. Yes, I am. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hold your hand up just like this. You see how easy that is right there? See, see what, what you're offering God is nothing but everything. There's, there's, there's nothing that you are putting there to hold on to, but you're giving him access to everything. When we come to God, we see that holding our hand out like this shows that our value is that no matter where you are right now, God wants to use you. Not, not just, you can put your hand down now. I know your arms are getting tired. Not, not, just the, not just the best, not just, not just the strongest, not just the fastest. You know, it's getting ready to be football season starting up here in the next few weeks and, and coaches will be on the recruiting trail for colleges and, and the, the major colleges and universities, they're not going out to the peewee fields or whatever and just picking like the scrawniest kid and saying, yeah, you'll do. They're going after the fastest, strongest, best athlete. That's not what God does. He doesn't come to you because of your qualifications. He comes to you because he loves you and you have value before him and all that's required is the open hand. So the question that we have to ask 
is who do we love? Who, who do you love? See, th- this, isn't, this isn't the bachelorette or the bachelor where you're just trying to find one that sticks and hope it sticks. But too often we approach faith like the bachelor. We've got all of these options that are out there and we're just gonna kind of weed them out and see which one works. How often do you think these people find true love? How often do you think these people find anything that resembles any semblance of love? but the world offers us all of these pretty counterfeits when the one who is the most beautiful stands ready and writes us a letter and says, you do a lot of good things, but I need you to love me first. Who do you love?